Romans 11, 28-32, these are God's words. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy upon all. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. In this passage, the apostle is showing how God's dealing with Israel as uh, the visible church, as a nation that was uh, identified with uh, the visible church, reflects God's character and God's work uh, in all of his salvation. Uh, and so you have in verses 28 and 29 the uh, gift of calling, uh, or as it's written here, the gifts and calling, uh, of God, but calling here is a particular gift. And then you have in verses 30 and 31 the particular focus upon mercy. Uh, and then in verse 32, the providence uh, of depravity and fall in service of mercy. So, first, the gift of calling concerning the gospel. They are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of their fa for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And he's reminding them now, as he's been telling them not to be uh, proud or haughty towards uh, Israelites who have committed unbelief that if they fail to love them, then they will uh, take themselves out of alignment with God. God is loving elect Israelites who are currently unbelieving and who are going through the partial and temporary hardening that was described in the previous passage. God is loving them and intending to save them. Uh, and how dreadful then if we are despising towards them, do not think they can be saved, or do not think that there are elect Israelites who will be saved. Uh, if we think that way, we put ourselves at odds with God. Indeed, if we are following him, then we ought to have uh, love for them. Especially since it was for our sake that the nation as a whole, as a visible church, um, now has been set at enmity with God. Loving Israel doesn't mean denying that the, the people as a whole are at enmity with God. But uh, their being at enmity with God, recognizing that, does not mean not loving them. Uh, indeed, you remember... When God first called Israel, he said, it was not because of anything in the nation themselves, 
certainly wasn't because they were great, and certainly it wasn't because they were good that he loved them. He says, I love you because I loved you, and I swore to your fathers. And that's what he talks about here when he says, Beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And so we see that God has not changed, even though Israel has hardened their hearts, uh, generally speaking, uh, the bulk of them. There are still those who are being saved and elect. There are the elect, like Paul, uh, from among them. Yet, this love that God has set upon them, he's still remembering promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just as he's still remembering promises, for instance, not only to my grandparents and great-grandparents who are genuine believers, uh, but almost certainly in connection with our Coptic heritage, uh, back now some 17, 1800 years, uh, and ancestors of ours that we will meet one day uh, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and who not only prayed for us, but the greater thing isn't what they did for us, it's what God did for us and them when he said, I will be God to you and to your seed after you. And whenever he makes a promise like that, he has, of course, a special view to all of the elect who will descend from that person. And we are to have uh, that awareness of the faithfulness of God that is so sturdy that even ages, generations, centuries of unbelief cannot undo the intention of God to save that that giving of calling that he has given to the ancestors, to the fathers, uh, and in it, uh, loving their descendants, whom he is intending to save. So there's something very strong uh, in that and enduring. Uh, and just because we live a few moments in this world and are gone, it does not mean that God is short-memoried like we are. And so that's the, the first thing, the gift and calling. The second thing in verse 30 and 31 is the mercy of God. Now, uh, note the emphasis here. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. So what are we supposed to see? Are we supposed to see the disobedience primarily? I mean, it's true. It's there. We shouldn't deny it. Someone who pretends like the Jews are under the special favor of God right now in, in their interaction with him. You know, they're directly <laughs> contradicting the enemy's uh, language of verse 28 and the disobedience language. Of verse 31. No, but we're supposed to see mercy. Great mercy upon those who have already been brought out of disobedience, which includes every single one of us who have believed. And so when we look at our side of the equation, what are we to see? God's mercy. And then when we look at their side of the equation, what are we to see? Those who, despite their disobedience, the saving providence, the saving sovereignty of God is following them with the intent to, con 
to fulfill the salvation of every single one upon whom he said. So we see, yes, we see their disobedience, but what we see is God's mercy in what he is persist in how he is persisting with them and how he will fulfill the salvation of all of his elect. And so the great story of all history and of every individual moment within the history is the mercy of God and how this ought to relieve anxiety and depression and despair and pride. No, what we should see in this whole world that the whole reason it is still here is because God is still showing mercy. What we should see is his mercy. So the first part, how his calling comes by gift, not from anything in the person, but by his love, and it sticks then because it's from in him. And it is irrevocable in the second place then the greatness of his mercy that we are supposed to see when we consider even a situation like the Jews having rejected the Christ. And in the last place, then, uh, God's sovereignty right, in man's depravity. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Now, this isn't saying that God is forcing them to disobey. The language is actually God shutting them up in their own disobedience. He has providentially ordained that although they, being evil, are choosing the evil, he is good and he chooses the good, but that God has ordained this uh, intentionally, not passively. When we say permissively, we're saying he doesn't actually do the evil, but we're not saying that he just kind of lets it happen. No, he ordains that it will happen. But he has ordained the disobedience of man so that even by the contrast between what a man has been and what God in his saving goodness does in overcoming and changing that man from what he has been, that he uh, might have mercy. And so there's not a single elect person who didn't begin shut up in his disobedience. There's not one person who is saved because of how savable they were. All are saved out of having been unsavable. All are saved out of having been unrighteous, wicked, unable. Uh, and the Lord has done this so that every last one whom he saves would be an example, not of merit on the part of that person, but of mercy, that they would be saved all by God's mercy. And so God's uh, righteous sovereignty, even in our disobedience, even in our depravity. Uh, and that's the big lesson to take away from what has happened with Israel and what will happen with Israel. There are many who ask out of a vain curiosity. Um, they want to know how many and when and those sorts of things. But that's not what the Holy Spirit says we should be taking away. The Holy Spirit says we should be taking away the irrevocable gift of God's calling, the greatness of his mercy in every moment of redemptive history, 
and the justness and righteousness of God in uh, shutting up even the elect initially in their own disobedience so that every one of them would be a testimony, a example, a trophy of his mercy at the last. That's what we are supposed to see. And so may the Holy Spirit give us submission to God's word on this point. Take away that which he intends, not that which we desire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this portion of your word and for giving it to us, for correcting us. Truly, O oh Lord, we are such speculators and end up missing the greatness of who you are and what you have intended and what you are doing and what you will have done when it is all completed. And so forgive us for being so slow to have uh, our thoughts directed towards you and help us by your Spirit who has given us this portion of your word Grant that, uh, just as he does here on the page, so he would do in our heart uh, and give our minds and hearts uh, to dwell upon you and to focus upon you. Make us, we pray, trophies unto your mercy for your glory, which we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.